I don't know if last week was for you or it was just for me, but God has just had me chewing on it all week and, and feeling it at, uh, at peace about it. And, um, and if you weren't here, you should know we, we kicked off this series with the story of Samuel where, where we started talking about uh, looking at these old stories where they took physical things and they made physical markers to remind them of spiritual victories in their life. And so we took a little bit of time to just reflect, and we're really doing this uh, to plow up some ground in our hearts as we move into Thanksgiving, uh, plow up a ground and a heart of gratitude. And and so we were able to look at Samuel's uh, story story last week where we see we got to take a minute and reflect on so many of the victories God has given us in the past so that we can take courageous, fearless leaps of faith in the present. That's what this is all about. One, let's be grateful. But we found out last week that gratitude and that confidence that comes with faith in Jesus, man, gives us a heart to go to war, right? To go to war for the gospel and for Jesus and for the kingdom. This morning, we're moving to another story in the Old Testament uh, in Genesis chapter 28. If you have your Bible with you or you've got an app or however you do it, I would encourage you to go ahead and, and open up Uh, your Bible to Genesis uh, chapter 28. Last week we talked a lot about past victories and today we're going to talk a little bit about the present. Talk about where we are right now, right here uh, in this season. Uh, This is, I got to give you a little bit of context here in this story. I'm going to introduce you to a couple people. Some you may have heard of, some maybe not. I'll do the best. If I was telling somebody never heard of this, that's what I'm going to try to do, okay? So I'm going to give you a little bit of context. I'm going to introduce you to a couple brothers, Jacob and Esau. You remember the song when we were kids? You'd sing, Father Abraham had many sons. Okay. When Jacob sang that, he said, Papa Abraham. Okay? Okay, because Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob. And so we're going to be talking a lot about Jacob today for the most part. We come into this season of Jacob's life, and i got to tell you how he got here, because Jacob really has been a bit of a scoundrel and a troublemaker from the time that he was born. He's lived a life of deceit, deception, cheating. It's kind of what it's been characterized by when we come to this point in the story. um, we, We have to remember that God promised Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham. This is the story of the Old Testament, that he had chosen Abraham to bless his lineage that would go that, and promise to give him the nation that is Israel, the land, to that family. And also that his family would outnumber the sands and the specks of sands uh, in, the, in the earth. And that his family would just grow in number and would be a blessing to the entire world. That was the covenant that he made with Abraham. That, in short, just for, so you see, that was the promise that in his lineage would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. God made that with Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. They were born obviously at the same time. But Esau was the other one. He was born first. I don't have to explain that to you. So he's the 
He comes out, and, 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 and there's all kinds of like, I, he was hairy, that's in the Bible. I don't know why he was hairy. He saw, he saw just a hairy guy. Go read it, that's what he was. Jacob was not. And so, when scandal from the beginning, he came out holding on. He, he grabbed his brother's heel from the beginning, and he began to start to take things from him that were rightly his. And so, this child Esau had, he had a birthright and he had a blessing. And so this really starts out at one point when Jacob steals or trades Esau for his birthright. You see, Esau loved hunting. He was an outside guy. Jacob was a gamer. Y'all with me? Okay. Just Jacob and Esau. And he, he's at home and, and Esau is out hunting, doing his thing. Jacob is at home gaming and he makes this fine little soup, this delicious dinner. Esau comes home. He's really hungry. Like, and he, he comes home, and Jacob's like, I got some soup. And Esau's like, well, I want some. And, and Jacob's like, you got the birthright. I'll trade you, basically. So Esau gives away everything that comes with a birthright for a bowl of soup. That's a sermon in and of itself. We're not going there today, but he trades his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. And so Jacob now has the birthright taken from Esau, his brother. Later on in life, and right before we get to where we are in chapter 28, uh, the, their father, Isaac, intends to give his final blessing to the one in which the covenant will follow and that will be blessed, the son that will be blessed. He's going to give this final blessing. So he tells Esau, go out, go hunting, catch some great wild game, come back, make me a delicious dinner, and a after I eat it, I'm going to give you the final blessing. Rebecca. The mother, Isaac's wife, overhears this from the beginning. Jacob's been her favorite, all kinds. This is a dysfunctional family. You think your family's bad? Go read this. Rebecca finds Jacob and be like, oh, man, Isaac just sent Esau. To find, he's going to give him the final blessing. Here's what we're going to do. Come in here. Let's make some food. You're going to, and, and, and you've got to remember, Isaac is old at this point. He's senile. He can't see very well. And, and, and she says, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to pretend to be Esau. You're going to take him some food, and you're going to pretend to be Esau, and you're going to convince him to give you the blessing that is rightfully Esau's. And so Jacob's like, okay, let's do it. So they make some food. They put some goat skin on him, you know, so he feels all hairy and furry. He puts on Esau's clothes, and he goes before Isaac, and Isaac says, man, that was quick. I just asked you to go out, and you already got food fixed. Are you really Esau or are you Jacob? And he says, no, I'm Esau lies point blank and he's asked again and like over and over but then he smells his clothes and Isaac's like oh yeah you must be Esau I smell him and he gives Jacob the blessing that was rightfully Esau's about that time Esau walks in it's like I just went and got this turkey <laughs> and this is what I come back to Jacob, you've already traded me and cheated me out of my birthright. Now you've lied to Dad and you stole my blessing. And Esau absolutely loses it. This is a family trial of all family trials. It's the Hatfield McCoys. He says, I'm going to kill you. doesn't tell him directly, but Rebecca, the mom, overhears Esau saying, I've had enough of Jacob. Man, that guy has been a thorn in my flesh from the beginning. I'm going to kill him. You need to understand in this context that Jacob and Abraham and Isaac, this is like Downton Abbey of the time, okay? 
They own everything. All families, everybody works for them. Jacob is like living in, in royalty. He has servants. He is, he is living into his best life now. Okay, and, and that's where he is, and that's where he's living. And, and Rebecca comes to him and, and says, Jacob, I just heard Esau say, he's really mad at you. He's going to kill you. I need you to go and, and to my family. It's right over about 500 miles that way. Grab a camel. <laughs> and so Jacob's lived his whole life in royalty, if you will, and having everything he needs and having all the people around him and being the favorite of his mom and having everything he needs to, to grabbing what he can carry and getting on a camel. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 28 and verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp. I love that line because, I mean, uh, anywhere you're at at sundown's a good place to set up camp, I would think. You know what I mean? I'm like reading that. It's like, yeah, this is a great place. It's dark. This is a great place to camp. I'm going to camp right here. So Jacob sets up camp, and he stopped there for the night. And it says, Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. See, Jacob's been raised on one of those Comfort Plus number mattresses. Serta pillows. And he finds himself in a place, a physical place, where he's laying down, and the best thing he can find his head, find to put his head on, is a rock. I think about that story. I reminded when I was a kid, the, the, the show Brave Little Toaster. Some of you in my generation are going to know that story. There's this lamp on there. It's a metal lamp, and they're out, and they're running, and, and they stop to sleep, and they, he grabs this rock, the metal lamp does, and he fluffs it up. <laughs> He's going to use it for a pillow. He fluffs up this rock, and he just clanks his head down. And I'm reminded of that. I'm thinking about, I, I, I get where Jacob is here, but where is he really in life? Where is he in this moment? And there's some things that can tell us in this whole story of, of what might be going on in Jacob's Head one we find later, he's close to a town, but he's not in one. And, and I think he, he I think the first place he, he's in is fear. I don't know if you've ever been so afraid, like like you're you're afraid of the dark, you're afraid around every turn, you're afraid of what lurks in the shadows, you're you're just a you've never felt real fear because it wasn't like Esau was like a normal brotherly fight. I'm gonna kill you. It was like got a target on his back. Somebody really wanted to kill Jacob. And so as he was traveling, this is the truth and the reality he was knowing about. I think he's probably afraid to go into the town and get a room at the inn where you would likely be, where people could see him and say, when Esau comes looking, he probably thought Esau was looking for him. He's scared for his life. And so he just finds out in the wilderness and grabs him a little stone and takes him a great little peaceful nap. Have you ever been that scared? Maybe not just scared for your life or scared that someone's going to kill you. Maybe you had. I, I can remember uh, one time I lived in Columbus, Ohio for a little bit. 
And I came, I came home one night from work, got home about midnight, went in, went to sleep, got up the next morning, and my mom called me, and she said, hey, you're, uh, uh, did your credit card get stolen? She let me keep a credit card of hers, and I said, no, it's in the console of my truck. So I walked outside my apartment, and I looked at the spot where my truck was parked, and there was a little car. <laughs> and I said, no, my credit card didn't get stolen. The truck got stolen, and they have the credit card. And so I through the night. And, and, and so I asked my, my buddy who came home after me, he said, he came home like 20 minutes after me, he said, no, he said, your truck was already gone when I got here. I didn't see it out front. Man, you talk about a creepy feeling. Like somebody had followed me from work, watched me go into the apartment, and like crowbarred into my truck, hotwired it, and stole it. Like I looked around some corners for a while. Jacob was scared. And if we're not careful, we'll get in a place of fear. I think he was also uh, had a little shame. I think his sins had found him out. You know, he, he was the favorite child. He was, you know, the, 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 the one that everybody looked to that was cool, that was awesome. And everybody knew him and everybody was looking to him and saying, what's next and what God's going to do through this great family? And now everybody knows he's lied, he's cheated, he's deceived. The rumor is out. The scandal has broke. It's on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. And he's thinking of what he's done and how it's been wrong and how he's brought shame upon himself and his family. I think he's probably lonely, surrounded normally by servants and people and friends, people who claim to be friends, probably just because they wanted to get close to him and he felt like he had something to offer him. And now it's just him. It is just him in the wilderness. I think he was... Uh, maybe destitute. This is a good word to say. He'd been stripped of the very necessities of life. He, had, he, he did not have a Keurig anymore. He did not have Wi-Fi. All the securities that, that he used to build him up and make him feel safe, he had nothing. All he had was what he could carry. In this moment, we find what I think is the most, uh, right now, it's my most favorite example of a gracious act by a loving God in the Bible. See, Jacob had earned nothing. He had done nothing. Everything he'd done, y'all heard the, 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 this good old Eastern Kentucky term, you've made your bed. Now, you, you lie in it or lay in it? You lay in it. You've made your bed. See, see, some of us in the wilderness and our mistakes have taken us there. Like... He's getting what he deserves. He should be out on his own. He's lied. He's cheated. He's deceived. He's, he's facing consequences. 
He's out there. Some of us end up in the wilderness by really no fault of our own. We're just born into a, a, a difficult family. We're born into abuse, born into, uh, or, or we take the fall for somebody else's crime, or like, or we be, and we were tempted to begin this victim. But any, at any point, we all end up in the wilderness of sin, the wilderness of mistakes. And here is Jacob, lays down, scared, lonely, destitute. He's got nothing but this rock and the things he carried with him. And we find in verse 12, as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east and the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. This is the covenant that went to Abraham, that then went to Isaac. And now, you know, you know God has no grandchildren. Like each and every one of us have to answer for our own relationship with him. That we all become children of God. At this point, the God that Jacob has only heard about what he talked to his papa and how he talked to his dad and Isaac and all that, for the first time, God has made himself known in a very real, a very tangible way to Jacob himself. He says, Jacob, I'm telling you, you are the one. Can you think of the times God's made himself known to you? Do you remember the first time he found you in the darkness and in the wilderness of your own mistakes and your own sin? And he made himself known to you either through a family member that prayed or a preacher that preached or a song that was sung, but it was his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody shared that with you. And he revealed himself to you. And then all the times in your life, those moments, those, those personal experiences, like, man, you, you're like, this moment, God is real. I can feel it. I can see him. You remember those times, those seasons? That's this moment for Jacob. God's telling him there was a great voice between heaven and earth, but now this, there's this stairway and we're connected and you got this access and God's standing at the top of it and he tells Jacob, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you everything I promised Abraham and Isaac. I'm, that stone, that place you're laying right now in, in fear and desolation and you're just laying there, oh, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you that rock. It's a good one. You picked a good one because it's yours. He says, right there and all that, I'm going to give that to you. My favorite verse in all this, though, is verse 15. Because in our mind, in our culture, in America, we cannot imagine having more than the best job, the best house, the perfect family. Imagine the perfect family. There's no divorce, there's no sin, there's no broken families, no, there's, no, there's no fights. Who's got that one? There's no hurt feelings, 
There's no, you just got the perfect family, you got the perfect home, you got the perfect job, you got perfect retirement, just going to sell off into beautiful retirement and everything's perfect. Like we can't imagine something more than the American dream. And yet, yet God's speaking to Jacob here and he says, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you your I'm going to give you, your people are going to be blessed, this promise. I'm giving you everything. But this is my favorite verse. In some translations, it says, Behold, I love this translation. He says, What's more? Oh, man. What is more? You have an everything and every possible blessing you can think of. Is this truth, is this reality, this promise that I am with you? He said, I'm the source. He's saying, I'm the source of all blessings. I'm the source of everything. And you're way better off to have nothing and be laying on this rock right here in the wilderness and have me beside you and have me with you. Then you'd be back at Downton Abbey all by yourself and running from me. You're in a good place. He says, for I... I'm with you. God's presence is not a feeling, it's a reality. His presence with a believer feels different than, we know he's omnipresent, he is everywhere. But his presence with a believer is an internal thing. Uh, his presence with an unbeliever, the times we think we've hidden from God and the times our sin is not found out and he doesn't see it, unfortunately he's always there, he knows all, not only does he see what you do, he sees your heart. He's kind of like if you would imagine a, uh, a, a, a if if God was a police car. All right. Imagine you're going to leave today, and, and and we've got a police car that's just going to follow you all the way home, and every time you drive, and everywhere you drive, the rest of your life. What speed do you go? Some of you are saying I wouldn't drive. <laughs> what speed do you go? You go the speed limit, probably, unless you just don't care. You know somebody. Is if God was like always in your rearview mirror and you always knew he was there, then you just out of sheer like fear and complacency and falling into the rules, like you go the speed limit not because you have a good heart and don't want to speed, you go the speed limit because you don't want to ticket. And so God lets you sense into these seasons of life where you feel like he's not there. Because he cares about your heart. But we have this promise and this reminder that he is with us in the present. Not only do we have what we talked about last week, that this, these memories and experiences of past victories that can give us confidence, but we have this promise. Man, this promise that if we could hold on to, if we were always conscious of it, if we always believed it, and we just knew it in every moment, that God is with us in the present. I am with you. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, that God should give to Jacob bread to eat and raiment to put on was much, but it is nothing compared with I am with thee. That God would send his angel with Jacob to protect him would have been much, but it is nothing compared with I am with thee. This includes countless blessings, but it is in itself a great deal more than all blessings we can conceive of.
We see that Jacob is in the wilderness. We find that God reveals himself to him there. And he tells him and reminds him that I am with you. It says, Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I know he meant physically. But he was also in the place of fear and shame and loneliness and feeling like it was hopeless. Surely the Lord is in this place. Some of you thought he wasn't. Some of you thought you walked in here this morning and you've not seen God in some time and, and maybe he'll be here in this place and maybe I'll see him today and, and I just wish he would not hide himself from me. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. You don't have to be aware of it for it to be true. He is with you. He says, but he was also afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone. He took this rock that he had rested on, that he slept on, and he sets it up as a memorial. Poured olive oil over it. And he says, he named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. You know what's cool? He's not even the mayor. I love his confidence. Why don't you just you stop by town and be like, I'm renaming this place. Hey, guys, no longer, it's no longer Pikeville. It's Bethel. Or, you know what? I mean, he just says it's Bethel. And, and it sticks. God uses it. It becomes known as Bethel. I, w- I want to walk you through just a little bit here uh, of our church, a little bit of our history, and I don't want to take much time here. Uh, I, I planned on doing that this morning. I almost didn't, and then I did, so I'm going to. You know, it is what it is. Just hold on for a minute. I want to walk you through just a little bit of history of our church because there's been these seasons of past moments uh, where, we, where we stepped into fear, where we stepped in, 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 into uncertainty and doubt, and looking back, we see that God was with us, and it gives us the confidence to know right now, God Surely the Lord is in this place, not just in this building, but everywhere and anything we go to do. Oh, I got an awe. So this is our very first service seven years ago. Pictures from our very first service seven years ago, 2015. Uh, Those two seats that Bethany and I are sitting in. Uh, happened to be the same two seats that in 2001 I walked into class and she walked into class and we sat down beside each other. 14 years before we had this first service. You go to 2001, Jared, and say, hey, Jared, in 14 years you're going to be preaching in here. You get laughed out of the room by me and everybody else. See, I know into a place and yet the Lord was in that place and he knew that these two people he had a call on their lives and that he could use them And he brings us together, and in that place we find each other, and then 14 years later when we walk back in that place and we sit down, you know, we're reminiscing. Sometimes an Ebenezer is a place. I can go back, I can look at that room and say, 
man, God, what? That is a place of a spiritual victory. Because I tell you, I was not coming there looking for God. I was in the wilderness of my own mistakes. And yet he came and revealed himself to me. And then we moved into uh, our next place we met in was the silver sneakers room. The YMCA, we'd move these yoga balls out of the way, bring out chairs, have church at the YMCA. I remember walking there thinking, I don't know how, uh, it was $60 a week. And I remember saying, I don't know, I think we can do that. I, mean, I think we can do that. And there was maybe the biggest crowd there was 50. We started with about 26, I think, our first Sunday morning. Um, I remember all the baptisms, probably 100 or more over the last seven years. And the people who the first time stepped out in faith in Jesus, went to the water and said, the old me is dead. I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. I think of the, the, the people uh, that were all believers that have been revived in such an active, living out their faith kind of way, serving in unbelievable ways, and their families have changed, and their lives have changed, and what God has done in this place, surely the Lord is in this place. I remember this first, this Sunday morning, we started meeting at Jenny Wiley Theater, and there was the, the Sunday morning where, where we anointed and, and uh, ordained our first set of elders and leadership of the church. I remember this building. Um, we were, we, for the first little bit, we would meet on Wednesday nights at the Garfield house over here at the park and do a, a, a Bible study. And we, the kids were meeting like in the kitchen. <laughs> it was crazy. There was, it was crazy. I mean, there was only like four of them, but it was still mostly ours. Um, <laughs> so it was even more crazy, as you can yeah, so we're meeting this little place, and that we were meeting at the Garfield house. Like, what are we gonna do with these kids? And we looked over, and Five Star Flower and Limousine had gone out of business. And we said we could rent that space. And we, so we called, and they said it's eight hundred dollars a month plus utilities. You're like, oh, we were stressed out over sixty a week, and now we're gonna rent this place, and we're renting the theater on Sunday mornings. We're having kids stuff here. Like, we're all over town. We're separated. This feels weird, but the Lord is in that place. And I know it's bears den nutrition now, but I still think he's there. And so we spent a season there. We started having kids stuff there on Wednesday nights, and God began to grow this ministry with kids, and, uh, and we saw it grow. And then we had somebody that comes to church with us still. She was here at the early service, Trina Cecil, gave us this bunch of clothes from, from, uh, from a, uh, she works at Cato's. She gave us these clothes as a donation. We're like, we don't know what we're going to do with those, but God gave it to us. We'll give it to who needs it. And immediately we started meeting people who needed clothes. We were working with people in the West Care program, and they were coming to church on Sunday mornings. This is at Jane Wiley Theater after church one day. That's Rosie. She's now 12. That's Rosie having her picture taken. And we started helping these girls. They'd get out of jail, and we had these clothes, and there's people that need them, and God just put us in the middle. And so the, what was a youth place became this, piles of clothes, and we'd move them out and try to have kids stuff on Wednesday nights. It was just getting messy, but the Lord was in the place. Kids started with four kids or however many it was. That's kids' church at the theater. That was a week and a half ago on a Wednesday night. 
I remember the, the stress, the worry, the wilderness of four kids disrupting in the kitchen at the Garfield house and not knowing what God was doing or where he was leading or who he was going to reach and how he was going to do it. But the Lord was in that place, that season. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about present sense of our present tense of our place and season of life. Began doing surf Sundays. People got saved at baseball fields. We're going to keep doing these over the next year. Uh, we, we, the, the box of gym, Jody Brown even made it on the screen. Look out. Spent five years without a trainer and wondering, we're just renting this place and Jody's doing some training and got kids and we're doing a good thing. And now all of a sudden we got almost 40 kids signed up for classes. We have two classes a week, and sometimes you can forget, and if you come to church here on Sunday morning, you can't even imagine the reach and the resources and the thing and the differences, the places we're meeting people and being real and relevant in their life. Sean that lived underneath the gym, if you've been with us for some time, you know that story. I don't have time this morning. The market, the coffee shop that used to be the center, and then it was the closet, and then we moved, and we signed the lease right before COVID and, and on this new place. Like, right, we signed it, let's move in. The governor says, you're not leaving the house. All right, that's how that went. But eventually, God moved us into that place. We've been there two years. God has blessed that ministry to reach so many people for Jesus in real in relevant ways from our baristas uh, to our customers to, to our vendors. I mean, it's just amazing what God is doing in that place. Then we come to this place, this building. That's what it, what it used to look like. I walked in. We had church across the street. I'm getting ready to finish. Uh, we were having church at Jen Wiley Theater. They tried some pyrotechnics on Saturday night for a play they were doing. Caught the stage on fire. We couldn't have church on a Sunday morning. The next Sunday, the Methodist Church let us meet in the power building right here across the street. Kelsey, friend, is praying. During her prayer there, he looks up, and he sees the four-lease sign across the street here on this building. In Kelsey fashion, Brother Jared, you need to call that number. And I'm in Brother Jared fashion, okay, Kelsey, I'll do that thinking I might do that. I come out of the car, I go get in the, come out of the church, we get in the car, Beth and I are sitting there, we look over, I was like, Kelsey told me to call that number. I know that place will never work. But I told him I'd call. And so we got out and we were looking and trying to see the number on the sign. And we walk over and Janice, who owns the building, is walking down the stairs right out there. And we walk in, we begin to talk to Janice and share where we are and what God is doing. And she begins to share with us a story that I've shared before, and I'll share it again. Um, that she was in, in a place where she was in a place of fear. This was uh, an important place in her livelihood. It had been vacant for six months. She'd even had her women's group, some of those which are here today, I think, come over and pray for this building. Pray in every corner. See, at some point, made, somebody built this building to be a Kroger. But the Lord was in this place. And we came in, and we looked at it, and she said, somebody told me it might be a church. I said, no way. She didn't believe it ever would. And then we talked. She's like, maybe. 
And we got, God began to work in our life, and, and I could tell you all kinds of stories how God made himself known to us. We had saved money in a building fund for the, we'd been church three years at that point. We had about $120,000 in a building fund thinking we're going to buy a place, we're going to build something, we're going to do something, but still open to what God's going to do. And so now we're getting ready to lease this place, and we said, well, how much is it going to take to take these 18 offices? This was all drop ceiling, cubicles, offices right where you're sitting. And there, there, was a, there was a group of people who had, who's, who had seen enough of God's victories in the past to make courageous, fearless leaps of faith in the present. And so we got a, a contractor to come in and give us a, an estimate. And if we had $120,000, the estimate was $120,200. I don't remember. It was like $200. And so your gut thing is like, man, that's every dollar we got on a building we're not going to own. But then, then, then the people of faith step in and say, wait, God called us into that place. He gave us every dollar we need. And we found ourselves, when we moved into this place, maybe a, we, we weren't in the wilderness because of our own mistakes, but we laid it all on the line and said, God, we believe you can use this place to show yourself real and relevant and to love Pikeville. I, I said all that for you to see that before we put carpet on the stage, everybody, we let everybody that was with us have the opportunity to come write a verse on the stage, and I've got pictures of a lot of those verses. And sometimes it's good for me, man, going back through these pictures gets emotional for me. Seven years, that's a short amount of time. It feels like an eternity when I see what God has done and what he's doing. And I found this picture that somebody written on the, on the stage, and I think it might have been Patty Maynard. She didn't remember. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> it was. I cut, off the, I cut off the signature, but it was. It was Patty. It said, fear not. When I'm standing here every day, I'm standing on scripture that says, fear not. Or every Sunday, I am with you. All the circumstances, all the blessings, all the stuff, all the bank accounts, all the everything, nothing compares to the promise that I am with you. I, I want to close this just by saying John chapter 1 Jesus talking to the people that are around him makes reference to Jacob's dream. He makes reference to Jacob's dream. He says, you see me now? He says, but, but soon you're going to see me. You're going to see heaven open up. And you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What Jesus was saying was, listen to me. I know you were excited about how God revealed himself to Jacob and Jacob's ladder. But let me tell you something. I, Jesus says that he is the ladder. 
He, he's the one who, who, who breached the void of heaven and earth. He is the one who comes to you in the wilderness of your mistakes and the depths of your sin and says, I love you. And he reveals himself to you and he makes himself known to you. And when, when you say, well, I don't know how to get there, he simply says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so we have this, this encouragement as believers that he is always with us. He lives inside of us. We never have to be afraid. We, you have this encouragement. If you've never given your life to him, he is revealing himself to you right now. And just like Jacob, when he got up, he had opportunity to choose, what am I going to do with this? He says, man, if this is the God I think it is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship you as my God. I'm going to serve you. That means I'm going to make you not just Savior, but Lord of my life. And then he says, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I have. He says, I'm going to honor you because everything you've given me. Everything I have, you've given it to me anyway, and I want to give it back to you. And so you have that hope, this opportunity this morning, that Jesus, you know, Jacob had a ladder, Jared's got a ladder. That gives me hope that meets me right where I am in my fear, in my wilderness, in the darkness. That I have this reminder that what's more is I'm with you. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of Jesus. God, I pray you draw our hearts to you. God, I pray we leave encouraged today. I, I pray we leave hungry not to have everything, but to really rest on one thing that we want the most, and is that to know and feel and be confident that you are with us. And I, I, and I love that James wrote in his letter that this truth that you're always here, but there's a next level, because James wrote that said, if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And God, today we want to do that. We want to draw near to you and see you at a depth of a deeper relationship than we've ever had with you. God, we, it says we, we wash our hands before you. God, I'm thankful that it's of no merit of my own that you came and you, you sent your son to die for me and that, that you conquered death in the grave for me, that in the resurrection there's a power for my life to step out of darkness and into light, that you can take the scared kid in 2001 and through the struggles, through the difficult, through the good and the bad, you reveal yourself to me and put me in a place where I'm relying on you. Only you can do something like that. God, will you do that all over this room today? With each and every person, you can deal with them directly and speak to them in ways that I can't. You just reveal yourself to them in this moment like a loving father would do. In Jesus' name, amen.